Welcome, pudding people, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We are your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. (sighs) It is an exciting day in a very cold month. (laughs) Yes, now that's okay because the previous month was a pretty darn warm month in the grand scheme of things, so... Yeah. I'm okay with it being 20 degrees outside now. Yeah, but of course, we are still practicing just a little bit of social distancing in our recording of the podcast coming from our respective high technology locations. I, of course, am in the man cave in the Seymour Grand Mansion in Greater Bloomington, Indiana, where Richard is coming from the, uh, what, the Aerostar Museum? Was that what it was? Buried deep. Hidden within the sixth studio. Right, right. Well, we have a a really uh, fun episode for you folks today. It's been a road that we've been traveling for a couple of years. We're continuing on with the history of comic book movies. Yes, we've done so many episodes. You know, going back, you know, maybe a couple of years ago when we started the year by year process. And this year that we're doing is a big year. There's a lot of movies. There's a lot of good movies, a lot of recognizable movies, um, a lot that we have watched, too. And <sighs> I helps. think this is kind of the, the, like the, the heart of the comic book movie industry, maybe as we have recognized it for a while now. And we'll get into some pretty solid movies, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, it may have really started hitting that shiny resurgence in 2008 but it still took it a little a little while to really start just stampeding into a generally higher quality um, experience and that's not that's not a knock on any of the older films at all because of course there's great films that came before and there will be great films that come after and there will be people that uh, find some of the films to be stinkers and you know it they may or may not be. So it's a lot of perspective, but the overall consensus is that a lot more of the films are a lot better, more reliably at this point in time. We're talking about uh, money, 2011, right? I say money, yeah, 2011. M- money doesn't make every movie better, No, but a lot of these movies, there was more money to spend. Thus, you know, m- maybe more characters, more actors that are available, uh, more special effects. Once again, that doesn't always mean that it's better, but maybe in this type of genre, it helps. Now, we're going to be dividing this up actually into two pieces because there were quite a few films released in 2011. And to cover it properly, just not going to be able to do that in a single episode. So we're going to do the non-MCU films in this episode. And then when we finish up with 2011, we will go to the ones that fall into the other category. Sounds terrific. Now there's a lot of great movies that are non quote, non MCU movies that that came out this year. So uh, there's a lot of Marvel movies, Mm -hmm. right. Um, That came out this year. Uh, So yeah, there's, there's plenty to talk about. Now, as a preface, we will just briefly go into, again, what we mean by comic book movies. Now, this uh, particular movie had to be based on a comic book. That comic book had to precede any other audiovisual format in the forms of it can't have been a radio show and then a comic and then a movie or a television show and then a comic and then a movie. It was a comic before it was in a broadcast medium. Uh, now, it could have been a book before it was a comic. Uh, you know, in fact, one of the ones we're going to be talking about today falls into that category. But uh, otherwise, that's pretty much where we're looking at. We're also kind of overlooking um, comic strip movies at this point. Even though there was one released in 2011, The Adventures of Tintin, um, we will not be going over that particular side of things, just the comic book movies. Um And, of course, the other thing that we will mention before we get too far is don't forget to uh, take a look at what's going on on social media with us. We're always keeping things updated on our Twitter account, at RealPuddingGuys, and we are at PuddingGuys on Instagram and Facebook, as well as Patreon, where for only $1 per month, 
You can help support us in our endeavors, in our researches, in our uh, financial success, something like that, right? Financial stability. Oh, there we go. I like that stability. Don't don't have a whole lot of that these days. But uh, <laughs> and uh, keep keep an eye. We will be releasing some interesting information, hopefully sooner rather than later, on the social media about some new stuff coming out, making strides. You know, I'd originally planned on having it out hopefully in July, but that was mainly because I didn't know what went into <laughs> what I'm putting together. And it was much harder than I thought it was. So uh, <laughs> we got some good stuff coming up soon. Um, all right. Well, let's let's get into it. Let's knock one out of the way that neither of us have watched. And uh, I'm going to wager uh, neither of us have... Uh, taken a look at the source material for uh would that be accurate would you say that's correct yes yeah so uh we're going to go with uh lock and key and you may be saying ken richard that didn't come out in 2011 that's something much more recent and uh that's kind of true but there was a tv movie of lock and key that came out in 2011 now, uh, Lock and Key is, uh, is, is fairly popular, uh, from what I understand, and I feel like I, I probably should have known something about it at some point. But uh, since, uh, since I really didn't, uh, didn't get into the books, I guess, I'd never bothered uh, getting into the movie aspect of it. But it's got a great, um, it really has a great cast, uh, if you take a look uh, down the IMDb tracks. I mean, you've got uh, Mark Pellegrino in there, who is a name that you may want to pay attention to for some upcoming interesting things. But anyway, uh, <laughs> he is, of course, maybe best known for playing Lucifer in the Supernatural television show. Um, you've got, um, I mean, just uh, a lot of just name, maybe not names that you would immediately go, oh, I know who that is. But if, as soon as you see who they are, they're just people that you know. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it looks like it has a solid cast. I didn't really recognize much from... Um, I didn't really didn't recognize much from the directing standpoint. But, uh, I mean, uh, it looks like, uh, looks like it might have been a fun little, fun little project. Yeah, the cast is, I guess, names that I recognize. Maybe not material that they're in, but I recognize... The names, I mean, certainly for the Lord of the Rings fans, you'll recognize Miranda Otto. Right. Um, if you're a fan of the Terminator movies or a comic book movie that we have already reviewed, uh, Nick Stahl mm -hmm. has a familiar face to him. Uh, but, you know, after that, you know, Sarah, Sarah Bolger. Yeah. Bolger, I've seen her before in a couple things, but that's. There are, those are some good names. Those are good actors and actresses, but eh, maybe after that, and you know, of course, you're your water guy, but after that, it's downhill. So. <laughs> yeah, so we're just going to kind of gloss over that one, and especially since it's a TV movie. It's not exactly one of those things where it was uh, a, a big screen adaptation, which is primarily what we're looking at, but we like to at least mention the ones that still are, you know, in, you know, the quotes, movie because <laughs> it's on tv yeah and that's all i have to say about that that's right we're, we're going to skip right past that now uh the first really big movie that we're going to talk about and this uh i don't know if it really came out to a ton of fanfare um i don't know if i really describe it that way but the original series of movies had a great deal of um Appeal. I mean, probably because they were Arnold Schwarzenegger, but yep. uh, this re-release, maybe they were banking on that kind of love for the character and that love for the original movies, but they uh, brought Conan the Barbarian back at in uh, 2011. Now, an, an interesting thing about this is the director, if you look at what he's worked on, he seems to be kind of the guy that re-releases stuff. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre being one that just kind of immediately jumped out at me. But uh, also Friday the 13th, 
when they did that kind of reboot. Um, so, I mean, this seems to be like right up his, uh, right up his alley, his, his wheelhouse, as, as you might say. And if you're going to have, um, if you're going to have a muscly, attractive guy be at the helm of it, you can't really go too wrong with uh, Momoa. I mean, it's, it's a pretty solid choice there. Well, his his highlights before this movie were what? Baywatch and Stargate. Yeah, I was going to say, that's where I know him from the most is the Stargate. So that and that, that was really, that was it, right? That So this was his first kind of more of a public eye. And you you would think that this would have a little bit more push, but no one knew no one really knew who he was in a certain sense at the time. He had fans, right? He mm-hmm. the, the Stargate community knew who he was, but that was about it, you know. Yeah, but this kind of thrust him into the public spotlight. I feel like, but I mean, okay, so and and we have to we have to be completely honest here. Neither of us have seen this movie all the way through. We've both seen uh, bits and pieces of it. Uh, not necessarily because we just didn't want to see it. I don't think it's more of, uh, for me, just kind of never got around to it. It's just too many things to watch and not enough time. <laughs> yeah, and, and at the time of 2011, if you're going to pay your ten bucks to go watch a movie, I don't know if the if this particular one was one that kind of drew your attention. This was more of a one. Well, if it comes out uh, for some on a red box for me to rent, uh, maybe I'll go check it out. <laughs> Never happened. Well, the funny thing is, normally that several people in this cast would just immediately go, "Yeah, I've got to go see it." Now, like I said, I liked Momoa uh, in in the other stuff that he's done. In fact, I, I liked him better in that stuff than I liked him as Aquaman. Really, I mean, he actually he did good as Aquaman. I just liked his other parts better. Um, but I mean, when you've got Ron Perlman in something, generally I'm I'm going to watch it because he is one of my favorites in any capacity. He makes everything awesome. It feels like that he touches. Um, and, Blade Two, especially. I mean, <laughs> well, I I thought so. I thought he did fantastic. If you're going to have a villain that you really want to just punch in the face, he can do that. I mean, he proved that with uh, Sons of Anarchy, right? Yes. So. Yep. Uh, Bob Sapp. I mean, he's in tons of good stuff. Yeah, it's it's kind of a funny thing. I, I'm, I've he's he's involved in some other projects with uh, Zombie Orpheus Entertainment, which is a, a group that puts together movies based around kind of geeky gamer concepts. And uh, he was involved with uh, the Journey Quest uh, series of movies, and that that's just kind of a little delight to see. Something like that. And he, he, he seems like a lot of fun in pretty much everything. Uh, you got Rose McGowan in it. Um, she was maybe not at the height of her popularity anymore at this point. But uh, she was generally solid and stuff. Um, uh, I mean, and, of course, uh, Stephen Lang, who uh, is, is generally pretty awesome in everything. I mean, you know... He, even in a movie that I consider to be one of the worst films I have ever seen in Avatar. I'm sorry if I scare anybody away from saying that. He was the bright spot of that movie. Yeah, he was uh, in Tombstone as well. Uh, and you might not recognize him in Tombstone because he always had you know, a hat a big full beard on yeah. and head to toe, you know, um, and he's easily overlooked in that movie because he's kind of like the, he's, he's uh, Ike Clanton. So he's like the cowardly yep. portrayed as the, the cowardly one, I guess you could say in all the other movies. He's more of that stern, you know, hardcore person. Uh, but yeah, Stephen Lang has been around for a while. Just doing awesome work. Now I will say, that uh, what I did see of this film, um, it's definitely a lot slicker than the originals. Now, I think a lot of that's just, again, it's kind of a budget thing. I don't, I don't remember the original films having that much of a budget. Um, but uh, the combination of the, the better budget and the advances in cinematography with some filtering and some some differences in lenses and uh, the way that they handled things, it it seemed nice. Um, 
not enough necessarily to just immediately imprint anything on my memory, but uh, it looks like it would be worth a watch at the very least. Yeah, if it's one of those things that it pops up somewhere and it's on and you can watch it in half-hour snippets without having to sit through the whole thing continuously, that would be just fine. Yeah, and it's uh, and that's for me. That's that's that character to begin with, and this was what we were mentioning earlier. I mean, it was a Marvel comic book based upon a series of books. Um, I I never really connected with the the Conan character. It never was one of those things where I go, man, that's a really neat hero or a really neat fantasy kind of character. If you put Conan next to Aragorn, I'm going to pick Aragorn every single time as just the the better, more interesting character. It's, it's a flavor thing, uh, I guess. And, I, and I, I would say even from a presentation on screen that when you're, when you're in the Arnold Schwarzenegger time frame, right, where he was the one, he was the action star, right? Yep. He was the one making all the action movies and making all the money from the action movies. Um, you kind of just needed in a sense at that time, you know, a, a, an okay story and some okay people around him, and don't do anything crazy. And most <laughs> likely it'll it be okay. And right. it'll make money. And don't let anybody fool you. If you watch the Conan movies from before, they're really kind of bad. Yeah, but they're so bad that they're good. It's one of those things, uh, and I'm sure that in a certain light, these are better. It's just that I, I don't think I don't think the public was ready or wanted this type of movie at all. That's quite possible. And then, of course, you have the the other side of it, where you know, talking about so bad it's good, um, they improve it enough to get it out of the bad it's good, and then it just becomes kind of bad. <laughs> Nobody want to wants to watch it because of that. Yeah, like it was, like you could you could tell they put effort into it and tried to step up the game, and it still, yeah, okay. We haven't seen it, so we don't. We can't really honestly one hundred percent say, yeah, this really is a bad movie. We're only looking at reviews and right. uh, ratings from from what other people have thought, not what we've thought. Well, and considering the fact that the uh, the Metacritic score is thirty six on yeah. it, that's 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 doesn't doesn't bode well. But uh, don't worry, dear listener, we are going to move from a movie that has a Metacritic score of 36 to talking about a film that has a Metacritic score of 34. <laughs> yes. Now we're going in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, slowly sinking, slowly sinking, uh, depending upon how you look at it. Now, we've already talked. This is actually a sequel, uh, the next movie we're going to talk about, to one that we both, I think, enjoyed for the most part. Um, I, I didn't enjoy this one as much as I enjoyed the the predecessor. I just felt it was kind of a little muddled. But, yeah, uh, yeah we're talking about Ghost Rider's Spirit of Vengeance. And we've already kind of covered the, the origin source on this, just like we did with uh, Conan. So we're not going to go back into what comic it's based on and yada, yada, yada. But... Um, it brings back our uh, both of our favorite actor, right? Mm, gosh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess my and I, we we I probably talked about this before. There'd been there'd probably be people that would be so much so much better of a choice that you could have gotten for probably less money than Nicolas Cage. But um, you know, it is what it is. And this is a, such a cool character. It's such a cool, I think, environment that, you know, at this point in terms of MCU could draw in so many other aspects of the of the Marvel Universe that haven't been touched yet. And when they did this movie, it just underwhelming i think is what it is because i yeah. it, could, it could be so much more that's i guess what my thought is and i actually am i i really like nicholas cage um i feel i i felt it was just one of those instances it's like man i really like this actor but i would never have cast him in this role not once um i mean he clearly has a love 
for comics. I mean, it, it's there's no doubt about it. But there's a certain gravitas that that you're supposed to have as a ghostwriter that just doesn't come through. Whether that's whether that's a, a part of the acting, whether that's part of the editing, uh, uh, part of the writing, could be none all together. Just an unfortunate set of circumstances. But it just it just kind of you should be. I feel that you should be as a viewer mildly frightened by the ghostwriter. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a hero kind of. I mean, it's, it's an anti-hero and it's it's supposed to be um just kind of striding that line between doing what's right and doing what is part of its nature. And it's just kind of ah, never quite got there. And if you look at the supporting cast that's in here it's not like they like they paid money to one actor and no. not to anybody else because because that's not it at all this cast is really good so there, there's a lot of a lot of strong actors present in this movie yep. so like where does it come down to is it it's got to be the writing it's got to be the directing um it's got to be well the acting of the lead character too but <laughs> Uh, it's just a combination of things. And like we mentioned before, this is like there, this is kind of the heart of when the comic book movie industry was just really starting to churn out movies, um, good and bad, you know? So it's not like there wasn't an audience for this movie either. And it's not like there wasn't a, a desire to have this character. It just, it's just never, I mean, the, so we, we, we mentioned uh, budgets, right? Right. Um, briefly, when we were talking about Conan, this movie had a lower budget than what Conan did. Yeah. Maybe that's part of the problem, too. Uh, I mean, they didn't make any money. But, it's, it's, uh, it's a hard character to, to pull off. I mean, not just the CGI. I thought, actually, the CGI for the character looked pretty good. I mean, maybe not the way okay. I would have done it. But, I mean, it's really hard to translate that from the page to the screen. When your primary character is riding a, a motorcycle with flaming wheels and has a flaming skull, that's pretty out there. And it doesn't necessarily lend itself very easily to a, a movie medium. So you've you've kept up with the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., correct? Yes. Yes. And so I, they... they they had a ghost. Now it wasn't the Johnny Blaze no. Ghost Rider, no. But there was a Ghost Rider character that was in uh, a season for that, mm-hmm. and the presentation of the character in that show was much better. Much better. Yeah. So it's it's not like it can't be done. No. Right. No. So of maybe, he didn't drive a motorcycle on that show either. Well, and that's because that that character in the comics didn't do that. I mean, it, it's um, not not from nowhere, uh, but. And that's that's the whole thing. the The whole concept of the character is really interesting. It's uh, are you familiar with the comic originally? Not. I actually own a few yeah. from the the nineties, but am I overly familiar with the character and its absolute origins? Not necessarily. Well, there's a lot to it, but just boiling it down, when they call it the the sequel, Spirit of Vengeance, it's because Zarathros. that binds itself to the host is a spirit of vengeance. Uh, So that's why it's got that line. It's not a spirit of justice. It's a spirit of vengeance. So it's, it's meant to be a little bit darker and there's always a push and pull between the spirit and its host. So the only thing that's a commonality is that the the host is kind of tied to some form of transportation, whether it's a horse or a motorcycle or a car, something that, uh, and there's, it's not that there always has to be a, a ghost rider, but there generally always is. Um, so it's just kind of, um, it's, it's supposed to be very, it's, it's pretty serious. I mean, it's sometimes hard to take serious cause that sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud, but, um, but in order for it to work, it has to have this level of menace that just didn't come through. I mean, it's not like 
you know, Siren Hines can do menace. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he, if anybody can, he does good. Uh, he does good menace. Uh, yeah. And Idris Elba will light up pretty much anything that he's in. Um, and I'm uh, I'm always happy to see uh, Anthony Stewart head in something. I'm a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, and if you're going to have <laughs> the Watcher from uh, from the Buffy in that, yes, yes, please. Um, it's uh, I mean they they've they've got the um, they've got the names and they've got some people with some talent in it. I just it, I think it's just a lot of it is the the type of the type of subject matter that's there is just they they didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, don't forget Christopher Lambert sneaks in there too. Yes, he does. It's it's hard to forget Christopher Lambert. Uh, he is a, a singular individual. You could say that there's really only one of them. Um, well, there, there can be only there one. can be only one. <laughs> so anyway, uh, if you are thinking about watching this movie, you definitely want to watch the first one first. And then make sure you, when you finish watching the sequel, that you find some better way to use your time later. Because uh, you may feel like you, <laughs> you wasted a bit of time watching these films. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, all right. Well, we've, we've, we've waited around in Marvel for a while. Let's dip our toe into DC. Um, we will improve upon our Metacritic score. Go up to 39. <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby steps. It's a, it's a big jump. Now, this is one where I kind of disagree a little bit with the scoring. Maybe it's just me, but uh, and maybe it's a bias because I have a huge love of the character. But uh, we are, of course, going to be talking about Green Lantern that came out in 2011. Now, this was originally a DC comic. The first comic he appeared in was not uh, the self-titled. It was the All-American Comics in 1940. Um, Mark uh, Nodal and Bill Finger, uh, artist and writer respectively, were the individuals responsible for the creation of this fantastic character. Now, it is not the character exactly that appeared in that comics, uh, that comic, because that was the Golden Age Green Lantern, which is this is the Silver Age Green Lantern that shows up in origin and powers are slightly different, and of course the name is different. Uh, so instead of just finding a trinket on a railroad tracks, uh, instead he's a fighter pilot that <laughs> finds a trinket in a spaceship. You know, it's small differences. Very similar differences. Now, I, I, I think the Green Lantern, I, I, let, let's put it in, in a world. The Green Lantern world, I think, is, is one that you enjoy one of the storylines that was presented in a series of comics is one of your favorite storylines, if I'm not mistaken. It is. Um, and I really feel like the world presented by the green, even though if, if how Jordan's not your favorite character or the green lantern character is not your favorite. And there's a bunch of iterations of green lantern. If that character is not your favorite, that's cool. But I feel like the world that they could be in is one of the neatest ones. Yep. I feel like the character as a supporting character is way cooler uh, than, let's say, uh, like, a, like a cyborg character, right? Or yeah. maybe even Aquaman, right? So Definitely. I, it, it, it's a better supporting character and it's a better world, which is why I, I'm pretty excited about the production on HBO of the Green Lantern Corps series mm -hmm. to hopefully make something super cool. And I feel like in this movie, you kind of got a small taste of that a by the bit. presentation of the other characters. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, the original Green Lantern was Alan Scott, um, Silver Age being Hal Jordan, and there's a lot of positives and a lot of the negatives uh, uh, for that character being the focus of this particular movie. I mean, you would think that it would be logical. He's the, really the first real popular Green Lantern. So it makes sense to have him be the first um, instance to show in a movie. And you would think, okay, if you're going to do it, have Ryan Reynolds do it. 
yeah, I'm with you so far because I love Ryan Reynolds and pretty much anything. And you need someone like Ryan Reynolds in a Hal Jordan role because Hal Jordan is boring. <laughs> he has like no personality. He is, he is a walking, talking piece of willpower. I must do good because it is good. Maybe that's a little blander, truthfully, than it really is. But there's not a lot of depth to him. Most of the other Green Lanterns have way more interesting histories and subplots. I'll take Kyle Rayner over Hal Jordan any day of the week. I'll definitely take Jon Stewart over Hal Jordan any day of the week. Um, I'd even take Guy Gardner over Hal Jordan half the days of the week he's a little grating on occasion but uh they've done a great job in creating just because it's a core the superhero is not so tied into the concept itself or i should say the character isn't it's anybody can be green lantern because that's part of how it was designed so it doesn't matter who's wearing the ring so much Uh, So if you're going in for the geeky goodness with the powers and the flashing and the lights and all that sort of stuff, you get it no matter who's wearing it. So you can tell a lot of different stories, which I really love about Green Lantern. And in in this particular one. So let me well, let me let's ask a question here. If you were to create a new world of Green Lantern, who is the first presentation of Green Lantern that you would do? I'd probably I'd probably go with Kyle Rayner. I'd I'd want to stick. I want to have all of the characters still exist in the general chronological presentation that they were, but much like uh, we got with the newer Spider-Man films, where they just completely skipped uh, Uncle Ben dying because we don't need to see it for the third time. Um, similarly, drop in Kyle Rayner. The Green Lanterns have existed. They've existed on Earth for a while. He is not the first one. And go at it from that. When when he became Green Lantern, that was really kind of an interesting thing for me, uh, uh, coming at it from a, a completely different perspective and a different mindset. And I really liked the way that that character developed. Um, that would be the character that I would choose, with probably Jon Stewart being my second choice. So... This particular movie, obviously, we've been given Hal Jordan. And if you watch, I feel like a lot of the DC cartoons that set up this character, it's presented this very similar way as well. He's a he's a pilot. Um, there's a alien crash that's discovered. Yep. You know, uh, Abin Sur is the one that has the ring and the ring, blah, blah, blah. So I think that storyline melts across a a similar vein in a lot of the presentations for the animated features as well. Yep. And one of the, obviously the biggest bad guys that you could have in the Green Lantern world would be Sinestro, right? Yeah, you got to have Sinestro. And I really appreciate the fact in this movie that he wasn't, he wasn't the bad guy. No. Right? At least, well, you have to develop him as the hero for him to be able to fall for his character to work. So they tried to do that the right way. And I think that I I applaud them for that one, for sure. And if you can pick a character, an actor to be this character, can you really? Mark Strong is like an excellent choice. Yeah, he was the perfect, perfect person to put in that. I mean, even really, now, the, the whole cast was actually really solid. And I'm really no um, Blake Lively fan by any stretch, but she was fine in the movie. And I, I want to say that all of the other, even all the other side actor, actresses, I mean, they have some big names in here as well that, weren't necessarily the main characters in a certain sense. You get a little sneaky ad in there. Um, Angela Bassett's in there as Dr. Waller. Mm -hmm. Right. But uh, I don't know. I, 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 if you look at the, the list and the names and you see these people like, wait a second, these were, you recognize these people. You recognize them from other films at the Abin Sir actor too, um, Tamara Morrison. 
also an Aquaman. Yeah, and if you're going to have a film and you can get Tim Robbins to be in it, and you know that's generally <laughs> a great move to go with. He's generally awesome. We already know that uh, Taika Waititi is, you know, just stunningly talented in in a lot of ways, and has shown it, and has shown a love again for the comic medium and the transition of taking it from the page to the screen. And he just does a bang up job. And putting him in as Tom was kind of a fun. Uh, a fun little um, just treat. Um, and I didn't mind, I, like you said, Blake Lively as Carol Ferris was fine. The, the Carol Ferris character is not particularly well-written most of the time. Not a lot of depth to that character. and That happens a lot of times to, to the love interest for whoever it is, um, which is kind of sad. But she eventually got some more depth and uh, especially once they gave her some powers uh, made her into a star sapphire in the comics that uh, that I think was enough to raise the profile to just get a little more get a little more meat on the character and of course I could I'm sure there are people that will disagree with me that oh the character was really interesting well before that and and everybody has, you know, the right to think differently and to have an opinion. And you're you're wrong, but uh, <laughs> that character was not interesting before it became Star Sapphire. I, I know some people that argue that the character still wasn't interesting after it became a Star Sapphire, but I, I thought it was pretty good at that point. And Star Sapphire is a a bad uh, um, a villain, correct? Sort of. It depends on when you were talking about. Uh, in the original presentation, yes. Um, but it actually is uh, one of, eventually became one of the, the Lantern course. It, it's just the, the love, the, the violet spectrum. Uh, so, you know, green was willpower, yellow was fear, violet was love, blue was hope. Um, you know, so every uh, red is uh, uh, anger. Yeah, you know, so I mean, it's just it's uh, it's it just became kind of retconned into that area, and I thought that was a good change because the nice thing about it is it can still be a villainous character because love is um, complex, so it just kind of depends how it's how it's applied. So I, you know, there's a lot of good things about this film. The CGI, eh, eh. Yeah, I think I think the biggest one is like people like the suit. Yeah, Meh. yeah. But the but the when they go to Oa, that was nice. And he, yes, and you meet all like the you know Kilowog and like all the like those act like those were those were presented pretty well. Yeah, I I thought I thought, I thought they d- did a great job. I my only. My only gripe, really, I mean, I can see why people didn't like the suit. I, I, I get it. But the more I thought about it, it's like, well, how do you do the suit? That's rough. Um, yeah. Do, do you do you do one of those, like, I don't know what you call them, like a neoprene foamy body suits like you saw on like Captain Marvel, right? Or something like you see on the Superman character? Like, what do you do? Yeah. Do you make it? not have a, a glow to it and just be a regular suit. You know, I, they, they chose to have it, have a glow to it. And obviously that didn't work out so well. Yeah. I, Perspective. I of course. Yeah. I, the other thing that kind of, I guess the only other thing that bothered me is the use of the constructs. I mean, the whole idea a lot of times is to have some imagination, what you would make out of the light constructs. And that's true. Not really for Hal Jordan. I mean, he, he has done some things to play with it a little bit, but usually his use of the constructs are very basic, very simple, to the point. Not a lot of comedic. There's not going to be a, a Hot Wheels racetrack. That's not something that Hal Jordan is going to create ever. Kyle Rayner? Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I mean, that's one of the neat things because their personality can come through and how they project the light and what they do with it. And that's that's one of the neatest things. I mean, the racetrack, definitely, you see something from uh, Guy Gardner. It, it's all silly. It's all funny. 
Uh, that's how he always approaches things. And John Stewart is all about the precision and um, the detail and how that how it all works together. And Kyle is about the artistry. And so it's just kind of uh, eh, eh. miniguns. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. But like I said, I actually, I mostly enjoyed this film. So I, I, I can't really, I don't rag on it too much just because it's, uh, it's, it was okay. I mean, it wasn't something I want to see regularly or maybe ever again. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> well, he, you know, talking about the green suit and since we've been going on the budget rant here, uh, the budget for this one was almost four times the budget of the Ghost Rider movie. Yeah. Just to put that in a little perspective. Yeah. Almost four times as much. So they had a lot of money to spend on this one. Well, and, and I, I like the director. I mean, Casino Rao, um, and Legend of Zorro, uh, you know, it's just, he knows how to put a film together. I just, it was just slightly off. It didn't didn't quite work for a lot of people, but yeah. And can you explain Parallax to me? How it's presented in this? Okay, explain how it's presented in the movie, or explain how it's supposed to be presented because it's uh, different. Both, because it seemed like this is way different, and I didn't quite understand the. So okay, the, so the character in general. I think the direction that they took with it was that. So, Parallax is supposed to be the first. Uh, organism that caused fear in another. So basically all of the spectrums have an avatar, for lack of a better word, or, or not an avatar, but um, an embodiment, a, a spirit that is the uh, life form that first experienced that emotion. So, um, so Parallax is that, and as such, it's been alive for basically forever and is extraordinarily powerful, and it it's a spirit, so it generally needs a host to really do something. Um, all of the entities like that, are, are that's how they do. So I, I feel like what they tried to do is, well, if it's a spirit kind of thing, and, and the Guardians had it trapped, well, it kind of a, uh, it can only communicate the way it does, and it's going to escape, and it's going to be a giant cloud of bits. That didn't go badly with the Fantastic Four, did it? No? Okay, so that's what we're going to use. We're going to use the big cloud of bits. Uh, eh, but uh, the Parallax um, entity is, is an interesting an interesting device to use so long as it's used in um, sparingly and, and in the right context. It can be a lot of fun to, to play with. But it was too soon to bring it into the Green Lantern. They got too excited, I think, and they, they should have just gone with Hector Hammond and because that's a great character to bring in and have that be the bad guy. And don't try and hint yet. Draw it out just a little bit, and I think it would have worked better. Okay. But, uh, <sighs> yeah. Well, we're going to go from grand sci-fi that maybe missed just a little bit to um, a Western sci-fi that uh, is hit or miss for a lot of people. Uh, of course, we are talking about the Cowboys and Aliens. Now, did you end up seeing this one? I did. Now, it's it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will continue singing the song, but I won't. But uh, uh, probably when this phone when this film came out, I definitely saw it then, and then shortly after. But it's probably been a good six years since I've seen this movie. Uh, my my memory of it, from just a general standpoint of, you know, it was generally enjoyable. Yeah, it like, it's not like I this movie was annoying or or bad or anything like that. And Daniel Craig's always awesome, so. Um, Pretty much anything he's in is pretty good. So I I just generally have a positive opinion about the movie. And the source material, it's a little different. It's nice to have a comic book movie that's uh, not based on um, people in tights, which is good. This was based on a graphic novel that came out in 2006 from Platinum Studios Comics. Um, uh, Let's see, who was it? It was uh, Dennis Calero... um, 
the writer is Andrew Foley and uh, Fred Van Lent. There, there, there were a lot of people that worked on this particular project, and um, I remember enjoying the the graphic novel. I really liked the movie. I mean, it had a really uh, solid cast. I mean, John Favreau at the helm. I have yet to watch something that he was the director for that wasn't good. Um, Pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, you have a uh, review up for this movie. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. And so you've seen it more like fairly recently. Yes. Yes, I have. And uh, I saw it at great depth and I picked it apart because not only do I have the review, I did, uh, I seem to remember I did the um, death count for it as well <laughs> so uh a lot of Very slow-mo good. a lot of stop frame um but uh yeah I, i'm like you're saying daniel craig's always really good uh, abigail spencer did a fantastic job um uh, and clancy brown you know one of my one of my favorites speaking of parallax exactly um you know i definitely he i think he had a uh a little more meat to this particular role because, you know, not an incorporeal cloud of yellow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, he did great Sam Rockwell. I mean, he didn't have the hugest role in it as the doctor. But, I mean, again, you put Sam Rockwell in it and you're just going to make whatever it is just a little bit better. Um, it's a little... Um, the thing I like about it is it's no brain movie watching. I'm here to watch stuff yeah. blow up and have enough of a plot to keep things together and keep me in it. And so long as I don't think too hard on it, it's fun. And that is this movie in a nutshell. Is there something that Clancy Brown has done that is not good? I am not certain that's even possible, but considering he's been in almost 300 projects, there's bound to be one. Everybody can have an off day, I suppose. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, so, I mean, maybe we should uh, try and find one, but uh, I, I think it would that's be... That's for another episode, of course. That would be... I definite. just thought about that when I was like, well, Clancy Brown's in everything, and his voice is amazing, yeah. and when he's not just a voice... His presentation of his character is awesome too, so yeah, he's cool. I like him. Huge fan. Hopefully, we will get the chance to actually speak with him on the show at some point. He's on that that short list of people that you know the the, for lack of a better term, the bucket list of people I would love to have a chance to just plumb the depths of his experience and and see where he gets what makes him him. Um. But yeah, so I'm, this this whole cast was great. You know, I mean, Adam Beach, uh, maybe not a name that everybody knows, but he's been in quite a few different things. And uh, again, as a as a as a, a cast, uh, an ensemble kind of kind of player, he's always doing really well. Um, yeah, got killed off real quick in Suicide Squad. Yeah, he kind of did. It made me a little sad, but uh, you know, uh, everybody. Has uh, has to play their part. Harrison Ford, of course. True. How do I, how can I not talk about this film and not talk about Harrison Ford? Which uh, he was playing the role of Harrison Ford uh, on horse. Uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. He can play that role over and over, and I'm just fine. Um, but uh, yeah, he's earned that right at this point, I guess. Yeah, I'm 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 all for it. But yeah, this was fun. There was, a, there was, um, the storyline was fairly cohesive. The effects were solid. The combat bits were mostly nice. I mean, really, if you have trouble following things, you might have some issues sometimes because there's a lot of debris and a lot of smoke and some interesting camera angle choices that sometimes make things a little confusing. But no, all in all, that's just just a fun film. Yep, I think if you want to sit down and burn a couple hours um just watching just a, a fun non-traditional type of action movie i think you'll get exactly what you need out of this one 
Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, now, of course, we're going to finish up with one more film. We're going to go back into the land of the Marvel comics. Uh, and, but this one is, uh, again, not one of the ones in the MCU. Um, it was the first in an attempt to take an existing franchise that was very popular and make it a little more uh, exciting and and let's get the history of it and let's really mess up the timeline. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I think what we saw with the franchise as it went, the first movie was fresh. It was new. People yep. enjoyed it. Second movie came out, introduced a few more characters, had a few more concepts, was fun. Maybe not as good as the first one. And the third one came out. They bombarded us with characters and did just awful work on a bunch of ca- bunch of characters. And it just kind of was blah. Yeah. And this was an effort, I think, to kind of refresh, uh, reboot the cinematic franchise that we were seeing and you're right just obliterate the timeline yeah now i will i will have to say this uh, a little shout out to the uh the site uh, watch mojo that creates list after list after list after list after list after list uh they did a sequels that were better than the original that i watched not too long ago and uh i usually enjoy their stuff and that, that was uh, most of those I had to agree with, and this is right up with what we were talking about. Uh, they said something that about made me yell uh, out of nowhere and just startle the heck out of the people that were surrounding me where they said, okay, next up on the list, X-Men 2. So much better than the first one. It's like, what are you smoking? <laughs> There's no way that film is better than the first one. No. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. Not a chance. Nightcrawler bit, yes. Okay, that teleportation sequence was phenomenal. The rest of the film, no, no. I I, I don't think you were watching the same film that I was. But man, so back to, the, back to the, the, the matter at hand. X-Men First Class coming out in 2011 where they reach into the past of the X-Men franchise and how did it all start and where did everything go wrong? Um, directed by Matthew Vaughn, which we have talked about before, who is somebody that does a lot of comic properties, you know. Uh, so some a little more um, well-received than others. But, uh, you know, uh, Kingsman, Kick-Ass, he produced both of those films as a direct, uh, as a director. Director? <laughs> a, new, a new position. As a director, he has not done as much as he has done on the production side, but he still did direct Kick-Ass, and he did correct the Kingsman movies. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he knows his way around an action movie. I think he knows his way around a comic movie generally. And I really did like a lot of what they did with this film. It was, it was I felt, sleeker than the original films. And maybe part of that was the setting, too, yeah. where it wasn't viewed as, like, this is a a modern movie, right? So it took us back, yeah. took us back to the Cold War or era in the United States. So I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, and, and you're right. It, it Are there special effects in this movie? Well, yes, absolutely yep. there are. But it's it's not just a whole special effects bombardment no right no i think that that really helps um and when you look at a character like the like the beast's character we're just used to seeing the beast character as the beast all the time right like head to toe blue hair and and even in the cartoons it's the same way and right now what you see in this movie is not that that yeah, that little that little bit made me very happy because throwing throwing that bit of history from the comics in was just just a nice little um, love note, little little stroke. I mean, it was just um, again, it kind of showed that there was some thought that went into this and and uh, some want to present it in the way that it needed to be presented. Again, uh, casting was fantastic. I mean. Uh, I've always liked James Mac- McAvoy. Uh, Michael Fassbender did a great job. Um, now, I will say this, though. 
even before we get into time travel shenanigans and mm-hmm. and all of the different time frame stuff, I understand we're supposed to take ourselves back and you know suspend our disbelief and you know just kind of get into the movie. But there is no way that James McAvoy turns into Patrick Stewart and no way that Michael Fassbender turns into Ian McKellen. There is no connection between those two. As soon as you say, well, these timelines are connected. These are the same people. And you just look at the two. It's like, no, no, they're, listen to them. No, <laughs> this doesn't work. And, you know, I don't... I, I guess when we watch, when we talk about the subsequent movies, we'll probably get into that aspect a little bit more. But you're right. And I, I think maybe when they did the first movies back in the early 2000s, that those were the great, those were almost like the perfect actors. Oh, yeah. To be chosen for those characters. And then when you get these actors at this time frame, Honestly, they're great too. Oh like, yeah, they're great for the presentation of these characters, and maybe that's just it. It's like okay, we know that that time frame isn't going to quite match, and we're okay with that. Yeah, you and got I'm, you I'm just, just have wondering. To. It, it, it kind of doesn't matter now because no. reset everything. But uh, I think at the time it 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 was more of a well, we want we want this to be a stronger presentation more so than we care about the fluidity of the time frame. Yeah, and, and, and truthfully, even though that they're never going to match, I mean, uh, if you're going to have it, if you're going to be in a place where it's not going to match, you might as well just have awesome actors that are going to be part of it, and, that, and that's what they got. Um, I loved the fact that they used S- Sebastian Shaw as the villain in this because he's he is in the uh, X universe, one of my favorite villains um, and have it be Kevin Bacon on top of it, man, that was just, it was, I was just grinning from ear to ear for the entire film. That was fantastic. They even did things like Jennifer Lawrence. I've never been a huge, uh, fan of her work. Um, and that's not, not a, um, a diss in any way. It's just, I never really connected with a lot of the projects that she worked in, um, and so it wasn't just one, except for like, I really liked, uh, silver linings. Um, but she did great as mystique. I mean, it's just, uh, just shows that, you know, even if you don't necessarily know, know somebody's work very well, or even if you don't connect with it, that these people are, are often so skilled and so trained when they move into your realm of interest, they're going to fit just like as, as a perfect puzzle piece. Uh, this, I think this movie was one of the big kind of presentations for her because she had done a few things before this, but nothing oh, yeah. huge in a sense. But it was this and then the Hunger Games movies started to roll out right after this as well. So this was her first, like the, this time frame was her like just this is her money making time frame right oh, here yeah. that just pushed her into the the forefront. And it's always fun to see Oliver Platt in anything. He's fantastic. Uh, just it's it's hard to not like him <laughs> in anything that I see him in. Um, and of course, Jason Fleming is always just phenomenal. Uh, Zoe Kravitz did a great job in this. I mean, it's just just like name after name and. Mix that with the aesthetic that they use, since they're doing kind of a, a historical take. You're able to put kind of the shine on it that you um, that you can't get with a modern day feel. I mean, it's this nostalgic kind of shine, which is is a lot of fun. Well, if you look at like there's the the Banshee character, yeah. That's kind of like an old school classic X-Men character oh, that's yeah. never been given much of any presentation on screen. So that was cool to have, you know, that character in this time frame. Uh, that that's one of the things I, I liked uh, in terms of what we saw. The the presentation of a of a Summers character that wasn't <laughs> the Summers character that we always see. That's definitely right? good. I, I really 
the, the Havoc character is was fine. The presentation of that was fine. It just if you're gonna set up that storyline of them being brothers and not knowing about being brothers or whatever, the, however you're gonna present it, set it up and then present it to us. I felt like we've been teased <laughs> with it, right? And it's just it's never gonna come to fruition. That's right. Um, but then, but then the fact that that leads to other things, right? Like yeah. the Corsair character, right? Where it's just a uh, so much not, fun. yeah. Like well, that's what I'm saying. Like we've got a basis here for really cool storylines that they'll probably never, ever get. Into. I want space pirates. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's, it's crazy. Just the, uh, the promise, I guess that's, that's the word I wanted the the potential that, that this movie, I mean, on top of the fact that it was just a, a well-written movie, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it had a lot of little nuggets like, hey, we might do this or we might do that. And so it gave you that kind of feeling that's like, oh, this this particular iteration, this direction that they're going in the movies, this is going somewhere. Now, whether that succeeded or not is a matter of uh, perspective. But just having that at that at that first film in the series is it's it's a a really fun thing to have and and in terms of ratings this might be the best quote best rated film of the x-men family of films as yeah. well and does it go is it all downhill from here i, I won't necessarily say that but it's it wasn't exactly parallel and uphill. No, uh, no. It's just inconsistent is the problem. I mean, yep. there, I, I really feel that, especially with the X-Men films, it's very difficult to create a film that's going to be what you need it to be. Because, well, I need to satisfy the original fans. I need to be able to translate this into the film medium in such a way that it won't uh, age poorly. I need to try to attract new people, new fans, because, you know, it's 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 not just about the comic book readers. You know, we've got the wider audience, uh, and then there's and then there's um, the history of the characters. Some of it doesn't age very well uh, in the translation. Some of it, um, it, it's it's subject matter of what it's trying to touch on are very sensitive um, issues uh, uh, regarding. Uh, among other things, racism and uh, and these these allegories and these metaphors, it, you need to be able to put it in such a way that it comes through, but doesn't become overbearing and bog down the story. There's just so many moving pieces that it's it's really easy to just have it go into uh, go into a tailspin. And I will say this: I've I've seen them and. I didn't feel that any of them really went into a tailspin. There are some that I wish were better than others, but um, I thought this one just had, they had it right. They had the right combination of stuff. Yep. But, you know, bring the, bring the team together, develop some minor backstory, show the powers of what these people can do and have it be said in the cold war era, which really we haven't seen no. a lot of films in general in this type of medium like that so fun yeah but we want to know what do you think dear listeners you should definitely let us know uh, contact us on social media um, you know just just drop a line what did you think about these particular movies did you watch them were we just way off was there one that we thought that wasn't that good that you actually thought was fantastic and here is why let us know uh or the other way around i can't see how you liked green lantern that thing was a giant uh, awful piece of uh, junk you know whatever you uh whatever you say we will definitely maybe possibly listen to it uh, <laughs> <laughs> well we'll at least read it you well, know yeah we'll read it we'll definitely read it but uh uh we will come back to this here probably in a few weeks uh, with part two of 2011 where we will talk about the MCU movies. But between now and then, we have some very interesting, uh, 
very interesting episodes that that will be it's just so much fun i i i just got this 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 ball of enthusiasm in my stomach it may have been talking about x-men for first class or it may be preparation for what's coming up i I don't know what it is but i'm just so excited um it was about talking uh about lock and key actually yeah no that's gotta be it but until next time stay safe out there continue to geek out on pop culture and we will talk to you again 